Welcome back to another episode of the Jasmine Star Show. My guest today is Kat Harris, a Brooklyn-based online educator, digital content creator, and female empowerment advocate. I love Kat because she describes her vision as for women to know their beauty, identity, and value. She's co-founder of the online publication, The Refined Woman, and host of the Refined Collective podcast. She believes in the power of story, that done is better than perfect, and quality trumps quantity. And let's not forget that the journey is truly the destination. In this conversation, you'll hear us primarily discuss pivoting your career to make sure your passion and purposes are aligned, and you'll hear Kat's incredibly interesting story of her own career pivots as well, so let's listen in. Friends, prepare your hearts for the ever amazing person I'm about to introduce you to. Now, I usually start podcasts with like a personal story of how I know this person or met this person, and this story starts with nothing but envy and jealousy, the stuff that good stories are made of. Um, I'm kidding, not so kidding. I met Kat Harris over, a goodness gracious, over a decade ago, and she had this opportunity. I ran in like a photography circle out here in Southern California, and there was one photographer who I just looked up to. I thought he was amazing, kind, good, awesome, and I always thought to myself, if I could ever work under him, like life would be amazing, and then all of a sudden, I met his ever amazing photographer who worked under him him and I was like her how did she get that amazing opportunity and it wasn't until I met this gorgeous brilliant soul who was also an entrepreneur and photographer in her own right coming out just changing the game for female photographers taking a little bit of her west coast flavor to New York City to sprinkle some love light and goodness and today I couldn't be more excited than to bring on my former nemesis aka just kidding the ever amazing Kat Harris I'm so happy you're here oh my gosh thank you so much for having me Jasmine and it's so funny to hear you say that because first of all, I don't even know how I got that job. I didn't even know how to turn on a camera. I was like, <laughs> Hey, um, do you want to hire me? I have no idea who you are and you should totally hire me because I am <laughs> awesome and I don't know what I'm doing. And then I quickly found out about you and I mean, I read your blog like religiously and was like, we, I, you, I was like to my boss, you know, Jasmine, <laughs> I just thought you were the best thing since sliced bread and just been so grateful to connect with you over the years. And, and I've been so challenged and inspired by how you have pivoted so much. And it's kind of, I feel like <laughs> you ran so I, or wait, you walked so I could run. I don't know. <laughs> Like, okay, girl, you're aging me. You're making me sound like I'm no, so much older. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no I'm just like kidding. I'm kidding. We're the same age. It's just that you were a couple <laughs> steps ahead of me. And um, I just, I think seeing other female entrepreneurs give themselves the permission to pivot has really supported me because sometimes mm. you have to see it to believe it. Absolutely. It's really easy to get stuck, you know? Oh, a hundred. And actually that's like a perfect, amazing segue because we are going to be talking about business pivots. We're going to be talking about what you're doing. We're going to be talking about the lessons that you learned along the way. So in that context, we are going to be talking about pivoting and business. And we know that you live in Brooklyn. Well, we don't know. Now the audience knows you live in Brooklyn, but let's pretend we're in Midtown Manhattan and we're on the 24th floor and we're going down an elevator and we're talking about pivots. In that amount of time, how would you introduce yourself and what would you say are like the two or three biggest pivots in your life that put you where you are today? Oh my gosh, but I'm sweating. Put me on the chat. <laughs> um, okay. 
the two biggest pivots that put me in the spot today. Okay. I would say going from, so I was Bible major turned nonprofit girl, somehow landed my way into the photography world. So I think that was my first big pivot of sort of leaving nonprofit, leaving. um, I really wanted to work in the church. And then the photography world opened up a whole new life for me that I didn't even know. And then I would say the next big pivot from there is after shooting a about 12 seasons of uh, runway at New York Fashion Week, I thought I should start a blog for women because what the world needs is another blog. And I started The Refined Woman eight and a half years ago as a style blog. And it was honestly a passion project that has turned into so many pivots in itself and into more of a passion, more of a calling, more of a purpose-filled career than I ever would have imagined. But I think the pivot of being being willing to start it was, it was just something I never thought I was going to do. I I moved to New York City being editorial photographer. And then so much has happened over the last eight and a half years. I have a book deal with HarperCollins. I have my first book coming out in the spring. I have a podcast. I create curriculum for women. I'm I'm like, how did this happen? But I can pinpoint that to going into the photography world and then also starting my blog for women. I want to take a step back and like really focus on the underpinnings of those decisions because I've said it before, but my best friend, Brene Brown, <clears throat> casual hair flip. Um, no, just kidding. People are listening. Like, you know, Brene? Like, no, I, one day I will. Be, I was like, what do I not know right now? No. Oh, no, no, no. Like one day Brene is going to invite me to her home in Austin and we're going to play pickleball. Like she doesn't know it yet, but like that day is coming. But she often talks about gold plated grit where we can look back at a difficult point in our lives and we're just like, oh, that was really difficult. And then I did it. And so we can casually kind of just like gloss over the fact that Kat left sunny California to become an editorial photographer in New York City. And that sounds like legitimately like a Netflix show bound to happen. But when you're in it, it's not all that glamorous. Like there were a few times that you and I would tap in and it was kind of just like a bunch of like asterisks and pound signs like floating above your head. Like this is New York City. What the heck? WTF, um, what did I get basically, into? Yes. Right, 100%. right, right. And so then to see where it comes back, it's like I want to just like pinpoint and say because Kat made that decision. It's so easy for just like HarperCollins, very popular podcast. I do this. It's like, whoa, wait, in the middle, in that sucky middle of making the decision, when you say, I don't know how I got here, but actually you probably do. Let's focus on like, we can focus on two big pivots in your life, but what actually got you from, I am going to start a blog. I've seen the different iterations of it. Like how did it get to now? I have like a very clear thesis for a book. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, what I want to speak to is the idea of moving to New York City to be an editorial photographer was the least sexy thing that I ever did and starting the blog. So I just kind of want to take away like the glam of that. I worked for one of the top photographers in the nation and because of that got A-list celebrity clients and had my work featured in magazines. When I started my own business and moved to New York, I thought everything's going to be so easy for me because I have so many contacts. Well, my first year in New York, which was seven and a half years ago, I made less than $20,000 a year and I shared a bed with my best friend in a tiny rat infested Brooklyn apartment. (laughs) And I pounded the pavement every single day and 
created my own networking events and met with other photographers. I pitched, I would Google, who's the editor of Vogue magazine? What's her email? And who's doing the publicity for so-and-so? And that's, I would just show up places and take pictures and then like guerrilla style, Google who are the PR people that need these images and say, hey, I would love to share my work with you. Feel free to use it this time around. Here's my rates for next time. I would love to work with you in the future. And that took about four years of being in New York to really establish that. And that had already been on the heels of being in the industry for four years. So people think, oh, wow, you got this stuff. And I've been working full time for 12 years in photography. So that's that. What happened with The Refined Woman is how it started changing was I started getting more and more clear on my vision. So I started it because I wanted to do something for women. I wanted women who were in an industry that said you matter because of how many followers you have or what you look like or what size you are or aren't. I wanted to speak to women to say, you have a seat at the table no matter what, but I didn't really know how to do it. So I started it as a style blog, which was... If you want to see some very painful <laughs> style posts, I mean, it's just so embarrassing. I had a business partner for a few years and she was like, you cannot put that outfit on the internet. It's so ugly. And I was like, but I'm like literally making $10 a day and I cannot afford to get a new outfit. Um, so I think the downfall in the beginning of what of the refined woman was I lacked a real sense of vision on where it was headed and I didn't treat it like a business. So I treated it like a side hobby. So I wasn't really getting paid work. And so I never really felt like I could quote unquote take risks. So it really Mm. wasn't until I started really the big pivot for the refined woman is when I joined a mastermind and I paid $20,000 for a business coach. And I, here I was in New York city, hardly able to pay rent. And I thought it's time for me to put my money where my mouth is. And it wasn't until I started getting very intentional feedback from other people in the industry that said, Hey, we see that whenever you talk about singleness, you gain 500 followers in one day. And when you talk about dating or when you talk about your faith, or when you talk about X, your tribe is being attracted. And I resisted that because I thought I'm a photographer. I do social media marketing and strategy. I am in the fashion industry. So I didn't want to make that transition. And it's so interesting. I have a very specific memory in my head because I was on a podcast. This was three years ago now. And it was about business strategy as a woman of faith in the fashion industry. And towards the very end, she said, so you're also single in New York city. What's dating like? And I gave her my little spiel. Well, a week later, the podcast goes live a hundred thousand downloads. And one week I get 3000 emails from women all over the world, asking me dating advice. And then offers for a book deal. And I thought, what the heck? This isn't what I want to do. This isn't what I'm here for. This isn't my message. And so really I made a conscious decision based off like, okay, like I, I got to give the people what they want. I got to give my audience what they're asking for instead of me pushing my agenda on what I, what I think it should be. And so I think once I did that and I started listening 
and letting go of the agenda of what I thought my business should look like, that is when so much opened up for me. Now, I didn't overnight get the book deal I wanted. I didn't overnight have a successful podcast. I've been working three years very hard on my podcast and it's been slow growth. But really, it's when I got clear, I got outside coaching and support and put my money where my mouth is and started listening to what people wanted for me as opposed to saying, no, I know what you want. (laughs) Okay. 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 So we're going to go there in a second, but let's just pause because it was like a ton. That was like a broken fire hydrant in Brooklyn. That was like a Brooklyn block party of goodness. Okay. So we got a little punch and we got some barbecue going on. I want to take a step back and be like, looking back during those pivots, what were like three lessons or two lessons that you're like, this is the pattern that I saw every time that I pivot. Like, what did you learn from that? Because as people are pivoting, it's like, if you could shed light on something they're going through, it's not going to make them feel as alone. Totally. And, and I can say in a very real and honest way that I am on a, on the verge of another pivot with the message that I am sharing. And because I have looked back at all these pivots that I've had in the past, I can say, oh, okay, now I know what to expect here. So I would say the first thing is to be open to outside support. And I think what happens a lot is we like to take our pain or our crisis or our insecurities as a teaching point in the moment. So we are struggling with something, we put it on Instagram right in the moment instead of, okay, wait a second. Let me pause before I make this public news. Do I have a group of people? Do I have a business coach? Do I have a mentor that can give me some feedback? And so I think for me, asking for feedback, instead of feeling like as an entrepreneur, I had to have it all figured out and then go live with this thing or go live with this Instagram post of, look at this amazing teaching point I had. And I figured it out all alone. No, And any other career, you have coworkers, you have bosses, they do career trajectory plans with you. And so asking for support, I think was the biggest thing and realizing I don't know what I don't know. And I have blind spots. We all do. So I need to open my life, my business, my career to trusted voices and people that I respect. So I would say that is the first one. And then two, I can look back at everything that every twist and turn that felt really unexpected and say, I had a gut feeling Mm. and I have judged gut feelings a lot because I think, oh, well, maybe like that's just a feeling and emotions aren't always truthful. And if there's anything I've learned in the last few years, and when I look back on my business is even the things I resisted, the message of singleness, the reaching out to the photographer when I had no experience was there was something in my gut that said, no, trust yourself, trust Mm. myself. And so I think listening to those gut punches and those gut moments of, hmm, I should talk to that person, or I should just email that one, or I'm going to take a chance and say what I really want to say here. So trusting that gut instinct. I want to pause there when it comes to number one, listening to your audience. And then number two, like unabashed, like listening to your gut and then asking for something. So people are hearing this and they're like, okay, but what if a person says no? What if I fail? Like, how did you reconcile the difference between asking for something and getting something that you want without being attached to the outcome? Well, I mean, I would say 
I would be attached to the outcome at times. My, my feelings mm-hmm. would be hurt because I believe in what I'm doing. Like my business is my heart. It's my passion. It's my calling. And so the no's hurt. Of course they do. The closed doors hurt. Of course they do. But I've always kind of lived in this space of the worst thing someone can say is no. And even if I fall flat on my face, those are actually the moments that I learn the most. So, okay. 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 Well, give you an example. Like somebody says no, or actually, yeah, I want you to spill the tea, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm like, I want you to spill like what happened when you're like, that's a sucker punch to my soul. And then how did you bounce back from it? Like, yeah. Okay. Story, so story on yeah. all things. Okay. A, a huge example is I booked one of my, my biggest clients, uh, was anthropology the clothing store. And I pitched them this huge event and I was going to be the host. I was going to be the MC. And I got 15 other uh, female influencers in New York city to be models and walk and do it for free and promote on their social media. And it was going to be this event where women could come together and build community. So they said yes to me. And then I, the night of I had a speech prepared and basically fell flat on my face. I froze in the middle of it. It was a spoken word. So I prepared this like five minute spoken word. 300 people are there. All the execs anthropology are there. And I'm like, uh, 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 completely. (laughs) I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying for you right now. It was just. The one of the most humiliating moments of my life. I started the spoken word over two times. Oh God, no! The same place. Oh girl. And then <laughs> oh my just God, can't stand there. And then I was like, I have a choice to make. Like I could literally see the exit behind this row of people, I'm and I'm like, I can either run out of there and and like never come back, or I can <laughs> just keep going. And I kept going. It was humiliating, but I got through it. And then the runway show happened. I hosted a panel with women, but I was, I just was so embarrassed. I thought these people are never going to hire me again. I pitched them this huge thing and I made a fool of myself. However, it was in that moment that I learned, oh, I need to prepare more. I need to, even if I think I got it, I get to practice again and again and again. And also I was so humiliated that I didn't do it perfectly, but really the client came back to me afterwards and said, first of all, most of the people didn't even know that you made a mistake. Second of all, we can't tell you how much feedback we got from people who said, finally, someone who's real, Mm. someone who made a mistake and kept going. Like we don't want perfect. And so I judged myself so much for that. And I, Mm. I allowed that to keep me from public speaking for a while. And I can still struggle with public speaking because of that moment. But I decided I'm not going to let this determine my next 10 steps. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep putting myself out there. And that was the moment I, I learned and grew was the moment I Okay. So this is, the, this is good. This is amazing. I love the way that you're telling the story because you're like, I didn't want to stop me from taking my next 10 steps. Mm-hmm. But what if there's somebody right now who's just like, I know what I'm doing isn't the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know my next step, much less my next 10 steps. Have you ever been in there? Like what advice do you have for people in that same situation? Yeah. So I think 
a huge thing that I feel like I want to prioritize more in my business in my life and to the person who's like, I'm doing the thing that I don't really want to do. And I don't even know what's next. Cause I'm just kind of treading water in the moment is first, I think we've all been there. Right. And we all have the place we want to be in the place where we are. And there's a gap. Right. And so I think what can happen is we get stuck in the, well, I'm just doing this thing I don't want to do. Things are never going to change. And we see such a chasm that we say, well, I might as well not even take a step if I can't see the next 10 steps. And so I think one of the important things to do is to remember that movement is movement. And don't let where you're at right now to stop you from even just taking a step, whether that's, okay, I don't like where I'm at today. I don't know where I want to be 10 steps from now, but I can definitely schedule 15 minutes on my schedule today or during lunch to let myself dream about what would that look like? What do I want to do? What feels like is missing in my business and my life? And then the next day, you can put another 15-minute break during your day and say, that 15 minutes is for me to research other people that are doing something that excites me. What are they doing? What are some of the projects they're working on? And so I think what I the picture that I always get when it comes to entrepreneurship and business and moving forward is it's sort of that I think we have the New Year's Day mentality of I haven't worked out in 10 years and I, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to work out five days a week at 4 a.m. for two hours and that uh, that's what I'm going to do. And that's not sustainable. And so it's no wonder that resolutions last for two weeks. What if instead, if you haven't worked out in two years, or maybe you have worked out a year ago, you said, I'm going to take a walk three times a week for 15 minutes. I think we have to create space for ourselves not to be an overnight success or not to run a marathon when you haven't even walked a mile. Like Give yourself space to grow. It doesn't have to be overnight. So speaking of overnight, I mean, girl, it's like, you're just setting me up for these questions right after each other. I'm like, yes, go on. I'm like, it feels like I'm talking to a podcaster. (laughs) Um, I have to say, okay. So when we talk about being an overnight success, I think it's easy for somebody to listen to the intro to the podcast and listen to your, and like you have your book deal and you're traveling. Like the point of this podcast, you're going to be getting, you're going to be traveling shortly after this recording and people hear that and they look at that. And I think it's easy to assume or infer that success is happening faster for you than it's possible for somebody else. Number one, what do you say to that? And number two, what were the steps that led you from trying to find out your messaging, your voice, to hearing to people, to getting feedback, to landing the book deal? Like what was the point of connectivity with all of that? Yeah. Oh gosh. That's oh such a good question. Okay. So I feel like the thing about overnight success is it's not real. It's not real. I feel like the only people that it could possibly be real for is like Beyonce, who is already famous, dropping an unexpected album. That's going to go really well. I have been working my tail off for 12 years, 12 years, 10 years into running my photography business. Did I get my first six-figure retainer client? 10 years. The refined woman didn't bring in one penny for five and a half years. I'm eight and a half years in. And in the penny that it brought in was a small penny. I'm eight and a half years in, and this is the first year that the refined woman is making a significant portion of my income. 
So I think, I think for me, I have felt je- jealous of other people saying, oh my gosh, this person started after me and look at them. They or they launched their podcast. And in the first month they have a hundred thousand downloads. I didn't have a hundred thousand downloads for over a year. I mean, that nothing about my journey has been overnight at all. It's been hustle. It's been grind. It's been scrappy. I didn't have budget or investors. So to grow my email list, I would. Okay. So if we do, we okay, good, good, good. That's where I want to go. Because if you're saying, and I truly do believe you and I can stand Testament because I know you personally and professionally is that all those things you said are true. And somebody could be in that exact situation. Chances are there's more people listening right now who are in that situation. I've been grinding. I haven't made a penny. And when I make a penny, it's a small penny. Okay. Yes. Talk to us about what happened strategically for you to end up landing, to get like a book deal and grow your podcast to be what it is and, and create a business revenue stream from what it is you're doing now. Yeah. So I think first I had to figure out what, what it was that my audience wanted and the best thing that I think we have access to all, all people who have an Instagram is Instagram polls on Instagram stories. It is the best thing ever. I am constantly pulling my audience. And so I asked them, why do you follow me? What do you, what sort of content do you want from me? What questions do you have about singleness? What questions do you have about dating? I have like Excel sheets open. I'm saying, okay, well, gosh, I did that poll three times this month and 75% of people are asking me one question. And that one question is, does is online dating even work anymore? And so, okay, I'm going to create a freebie. So then I create, I created two f- different freebies. One was, here's what I think people want. And the other was, okay, six tips to activate your dating life. And it was like, I don't even remember the name of the other one. Cause it went so, it was like how to slow down, like how to have, I love work-life balance. So I thought people were really going to love that. And, <laughs> I have to tell you though, Kat, I'm happily married. I married my high school sweetheart and I want the second freebie. Yeah, like right? <laughs> it was well, just juicy. And everyone else on their mom. <laughs> and so I, I split tested and this is with zero budget. I created a this definitely took time, but I created, um, I now have a six month email funnel for the, uh, six tips to activate your dating life where I repurposed old blog posts, old podcasts. So I'm serving, serving, serving. And gosh, I think within the first month I had over a thousand people sign up for it. And I'm like, okay, clearly I'm striking a chord here. And so then from there I was like, okay, what's a small offering I could do. So then I created like a 7.99, like week long meditation devotional guide for the single woman of faith. Okay. That didn't really sell. Let me try one that's 19.99. And then, so I just, for me, I just tried. I was like throwing spaghetti on a wall to I love see it. what I worked. Love it. And finally, one of the things that worked is I I created a $250 course, a six-week course for single women. And I went live with that. And it was the first time, like my first launch, I made $10,000. And I was like listening to Amy Porterfield and my, like Jenna Kutcher was a friend of mine. And I was like, I'm going to make a million dollars on my very first launch. I made $10,000, which for someone who I didn't have any ad dollars, I had less than 10,000 email subscribers. I had a couple thousand. I sent graphics out to friends and, Hey, will you promote this on your IG stories? And you know, here's a link. Listen, $10,000 is a really good day. Okay. 
So I went from making like one penny to, okay, this is meeting a need. And so that that's kind of how stuff started happening for me. Jasmine is I just throw in spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks, see what didn't stick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let me tweak the course next time and see if it does better. Oh, it didn't. Okay. Let me go back to it this other way. So the book deal then came Honestly, hold on. I feel like we're building up to the book deal. Like I feel like we're building up, but what I want to do is just take a step back and like, I'm going to repeat what Kat said, because we're just going to contextualize this because there are people who are listening who feel at odds with what to do next. So what she said is any action is action, which is what we say often here on the podcast is take any action, messy action, scary action, scrappy action. Kat said, I didn't know what to do. I had no money. So I just put out resources. First, she started off with the free resources. But here's the thing. She didn't get attached to one. She tested. Her audience spoke back to her. And the more that she served them content, she had a very clear idea of what she could try to an offer. So she put out $7.99. And guess what? It didn't really move the needle. So instead of her taking a step back and being like, I suck, I'm terrible. She's like, why don't I just charge more for the next idea? $19.99. And guess what? She struck a nerve. And then she decides to double down and create not just a small offering, but a course for $250 with no money, less than 2000 people on a newsletter list. And how did she find out what to build? Free Instagram stories. It goes back to leveraging what you have. So if you have less than 2000 email subscribers, if you have an Instagram account, if you ain't got no money, but you have time. And if you are willing to take an action without being attached to the outcome, and if you're willing to continuously test the outcome, you could quite honestly make $10,000 having no money to spend. Did I hear that correctly? Kat Harris? Yes. Yes. you oh, did. Yes, okay. You did. So now that we're here, and you've done all of this messy action and you figured out how to grow your business in different ways. And now that Refined Woman is making income, then we get to the book deal. How did that happen? What did you leverage? Yeah. So by the time the book deal came, I had been then speaking about singleness and dating for almost a year. And so instead of being like, let's do this workout together or look at this outfit, look at, I, I was all over the place and I decided I'm going to back myself into a corner, a a niche and people are either going to love it or hate it. Right. And that's part of what you want to do as an entrepreneur is you want stickiness to your brand. You want the people who really want to be there to stay and the people who it doesn't resonate with to leave. Like, bye, I don't, I don't need you here. Um, and so I was getting more and more and more clear. It's interesting because my Instagram following really hasn't grown in a couple of years. And I think really it's because I was constantly losing people who weren't into my new message and then gaining the right audience, my audience now is more engaged than ever before. And Mm. so also what I did was I started putting myself out there to, I would be like, oh, I followed this person and they were on this podcast. What's a podcast? I should look that up. And I just got really scrappy with what what are ways to get my message out there to establish myself as an expert. And as someone who is trustworthy and credible. And so the more and more I did that, the more that it's just the more that my message strengthened, the more I got clear about it, the more I got confident about talking about it. And then the the moment when 
I didn't know that the one podcast that I was on was going to be the one that went viral. And it was really from there that the book deal started coming in. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what a book deal should look like. I didn't even know if I could write a book. I almost failed a freshman level writing course my last semester in college. And so... (laughs) I then just went out and kind of started that whole cycle again. Hey, any of my friends out here, have you ever written a book? What was that process like for you? What's a normal amount of that I should expect for in advance? What's a fair amount? And I think what I'm so glad that I didn't say yes to the first few, the first few um, offers that I got, because here's what I learned is the average author, if you get, if you're a first time author, to get anywhere between like 10 and $20,000 for a book advance is a really, really big deal. But I knew, okay, I have a clear message. I have followers. I have an audience online. I have an email list that I have built. I have a podcast. So I just started putting together all my, my numbers, the different places that I had pitched myself to where my work had been featured. And I was able to say, actually, no, even though I know that's what everyone else gets, here's what I have to offer. And here's where my business is going. So yes, I can really queen. fight for myself. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you, I ended up with a, a really good six-figure book deal. And I thought that would never be possible for me. Even literary agents that I talked to said, that's not going to be possible because people, first-time authors don't get that. And I thought, why not? When Even when I started my podcast, people, I said, I want to get my whole first season sponsored. And almost everyone I talked to said, you don't have a big enough audience to get to get sponsors and you can't get sponsors for your podcast unless you have 10 to 15,000 downloads per episode. Well, guess what? Two and a half years in, I still don't get those numbers on my episodes, but I got scrappy. I reached out to people. I pitched here. I said, here's what I have to offer you. Here's, I'm going to make this a win-win. And I got my first season completely sponsored. I'm still getting sponsors because I just, I just said, you know what? The worst thing people can say is no, I can pitch myself to get a big book deal. They can say no. And I'm just going to, I might as well just, I might as well try. The worst answer you can get is no. This right here is Kat Harris. (laughs) Like, I think that Kat just says it because it's her reality, but people on the outside are watching this little flurry and it's not a massive tornado and it doesn't come in a tidal wave, but it comes in a consistent flow of energy, of purposefulness and inspiration. I feel like people who are listening feel so in tuned with the journey because what they see in you is not a person who had it all and did it all and wrote it on the back of something that they don't have. You took nothing and you made it into something. And I think that that is such a message that we need to hear and I embrace. And I know that by you taking time out of your very busy schedule to tell people to take what they have and make it work, it's going to resonate so deeply. Kat, I can't thank you enough for talking about pivots. I can't thank you enough about encouraging us to listen to our gut and our intuition. And I cannot thank you enough for empowering us to be less afraid of no. You are a gem. How can people find you on all things social? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And I love how you... 
you were able to kind of take my flurries and and make them into <laughs> points. You're so good at that. Um, so people can find me at the Refined Woman. That's Instagram. That's my website. My podcast goes live every Wednesday. It's called the Refined Collective. And if you are single and are like, yeah, the pandemic has totally messed with my <laughs> dating life, then I got you. Um, I have a free resource guide that I talked about called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life, and you can get that at bit.ly. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips. I love this and I love you. I mean, anytime we could talk about business pivots and dating advice, come on now, come on. Kat Harris, I love your guts. You're amazing. I look forward to people connecting with all things refined women. You are a powerhouse. I love you. Congrats on the future book. I can't wait to get my hands on it when it drops. Yes, queen, go on with your bad self. I appreciate it. Much love. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it, friend. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kat Harris of The Refined Woman. There's nothing I love more than having a chat with a friend where we both are open and honest and Kat is the perfect person to do that with. If you liked this episode, screenshot it and post it on your Instagram story and be sure to tag us at Jasmine Star and Kat at The Refined Woman. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, we'll chat soon. 